Welcome to episode four of Explore History's podcast on the medieval knight, chivalry, and the modern world. I'm Dr. Scott McLean, and this podcast, From Combat to Courtly Love, The Changing Role of the Knight, we will be looking more specifically at the development of the medieval knight and the changing nature of medieval warfare. By 1066, when William of Normandy won himself the crown of England, the knight had long been a figure of medieval warfare. Many warriors had fought on horseback prior to the appearance of the medieval knight, including Attila the Hun and his followers, the Muslim armies of the 6th and 9th centuries that swept the Middle East, North Africa, and the Iberian Peninsula. Indeed, the knight of medieval Europe evolved in response to Muslim tactics. One of the key differences that emerged was the stirrup. It allowed the rider to be stronger in the saddle, to be able to deliver and withstand a blow without being unhorsed. The widespread use of horseshoes was also adopted, allowing the horses themselves to be more sure-footed, able to be ridden over difficult terrain. And other innovations soon followed. Higher saddles, particularly higher up the back so that when you, if you got hit um, by, uh, in jousting for example, you got hit, you wouldn't fall off uh, backwards. Long pointed shields, which were more maneuverable while on horseback. Improved chainmail, crossbows, and so on. In the 8th century, the Franks, who had inherited the Western Roman Empire, gradually came to rely more and more on cavalry in their armies. This gave them a distinct advantage over their opponents and allowed for the use of lances in cavalry charges against an infantry's shield wall. The great Charlemagne himself was typical, as we see from a monk's description of him in the year 773. He was the Iron King, crowned with his iron helm, with sleeves of iron mail on his arms, his broad breast protected by an iron mail shirt, an iron lance in his left hand, his right free to grasp his unconquered sword. His thighs were guarded with iron mail, and his legs, like those of all his hosts, were protected by iron greaves. Initially during Charlemagne's reign, the number of men fighting on horseback remained small. This was in large part due to the great cost involved. To fit out cavalry was very expensive, as the warrior needed all sorts of equipment. But it wasn't just equipment and a few new tactics. It required training. This new method of fighting was increasingly specialized. Therefore, the Frankish kings looked for a way to outfit and train the warriors they needed without having to foot the bill themselves. The result of this was feudalism. Each vassal would give an oath of allegiance, swearing to provide military service in return for land. They could then outfit themselves from the wealth generated from their estates. By the late 9th century, the heavily armored knight began to be a common feature of warfare. And by the 11th century, when William of Normandy was preparing himself for battle against the Saxon army of Harold Godwinson, the Norman knight fighting on horseback was a military force to be reckoned with. It had also emerged as a new class within society. The equipment, Training and high level of skill required meant that a new identity was fostered amongst this growing class of warrior. As Maurice Keane has stated, quote, new tactics and improved technology at each step strengthened the aristocratic bias of recruitment into knighthood, sharpened in its ranks the awareness of a common bond called chivalry, uniting all who could aspire to ride to wars and tournaments. So this new class of warriors soon came to dominate. We see this in the change of language. The way warriors were described with a special emphasis placed upon the mounted knight. The term knight soon begins to appear in charters, being used to designate a particular social standing. And soon we see the great nobles adopting the term, suggesting that the great lords and their vassals were perhaps drawing closer together. The term was becoming honorific. You are knighted. 
The great lords, after all, did need knights to fight their petty wars with each other, to manage their castles, maintain control of their lands. The dominance of the medieval knight in warfare continued until the late 13th century, when changes in warfare began to affect the effectiveness of the knight on horseback. In Edward I's reign in the late 1200s, only 20-30% to 30 of his cavalry were knights. Edward II's expedition into Scotland in 1322 had only 24% of its cavalry being knights, about 322 men, the rest being men of lower standing. An English expedition in Brittany in 1373 had no more than 13% of its force being knights, and another of 1375 was under 5%. In 1443, an army that went to France took just 600 cavalry, with just 1.3% being of knightly rank. So clearly the composition of armies was changing, and with this change, we see changes in the role of the knight. Well, why? Well, to begin, being a knight was extremely expensive. In the 12th century, it likely cost a knight somewhere around five pounds to equip himself. But by the 13th century, it had risen to upwards of 50 pounds. Of course, you also had to have horses, and the horses had to have armor as well. So this was a very expensive proposition. One study suggested it would be the equivalent of a light tank in 1939. So imagine that, trying to kit out a horse with its armor and the horse itself, the equivalent of a tank in 1939. And of course, a knight would need more than just one horse, as they were extremely vulnerable to arrows. Early in the Hundred Years' War, in the 1330s-1340s, it was expected that each knight would have four horses, that a squire would have three. By Henry V's reign in 1415, it was assumed that a duke would have 50 horses, an earl 24, a knight 4, and a mounted archer 1. One estimate suggests that a French man-at-arms had something upwards of a year's wages wrapped up in just one warhorse, and a quarter of a year's wages in his armor. But we also see other things, new techniques being developed. We see this, for example, that great clip in Braveheart, which is somewhat historically inaccurate, but it's very accurate in terms of what medieval warfare was like. We see this great charge by the English force, and the Scots use long sharpened poles. Uh, this became sort of standard against uh, charging cavalry, and it made cavalry the cavalry charge much less effective. We also see then the charge becoming less effective, and so more knights begin fighting on foot. We see the use of plate armor as well, which became in general use in the 14th century, and the use of the longbow. For example, the Battle of Crecy in 1346, Edward III was battling the forces of Philip of France. The French force heavily outnumbered the English with as many as 12,000 cavalry. England only had around 2,000. The difference, though, was Edward's use of Welsh bowmen with their longbows. An experienced bowman could fire at a rate of about six arrows per minute, with an effective range of about 250 yards, so they could take out a lot of cavalry long before the charge ever got to their own line. Heavily outnumbered, Edward decided to fight a defensive battle. He positioned his army with his knights dismounted on a hillside, with the wood at its back and its flanks protected by a stream and a forest, so something the horses couldn't get through. Being late in the day, Philip decided to wait until the next morning to attack, but his impetuous knights would not have it. They attacked out of formation. Many of their own infantry and archers were killed as they were ridden over by the French knights. The English held their line against no less than 15 cavalry charges from the French, let the knights' lances and the archers take care of things.
The end result was that the French lost more than a third of their higher-ranking knights, about 1,552, if the numbers are accurate. The English lost about 100. We see a similar result being attained at Agincourt in 1415. The sick and starving army of Henry V, comprised of 5,000 bowmen and 1,000 cavalry, came up against a French force of 24,000. Henry V took up his position between two orchards, which would limit the French attack, ordered his bowmen to sharpen sticks and plant them in the ground facing their attackers. The French plan was to charge the English line, overwhelm the archers, but this didn't happen. The French lost more than 5,000, while the English saw minimal losses, perhaps again around 100 soldiers. So what we see then is that warfare was changing. But greater changes still came in the 15th century with the introduction of gunpowder and cannons. Another important factor in the changing role of the knight was the breakdown of feudalism. With the gradual breakdown of the feudal system after the Black Death, we see the bonds between lords and commoners loosening. Commoners were now less likely to just accept the privileges given to their social superiors. Therefore, it was important for those at the top, the knights, to reinforce their position and prove they were deserving of special treatment. Another factor which has been of great interest to historians is the level of violence that we see in this period. Some have argued that one of the reasons for the changing role of the knight, and with that a growing interest in the cult of chivalry, was the high level of violence in medieval society. It was natural that kings and others would encourage men to travel abroad, take part in foreign wars, as it gave them experience and it made them more valuable as soldiers. The problem was that the violence often continued when they returned. These were men who often made their livings by war, through violence. They were often seen as a plague on society, especially in the foreign countries they traveled to. They had been described as thieves and robbers, and at times committed horrific acts of violence. War itself was extremely devastating and destroyed vast areas. The lands that witnessed the Anglo-French wars of the 15th century were described as, quote, utterly deserted, emptied of inhabitants, overgrown with thorns and brambles, where trees will grow, springing into forest. So war was devastating in part because it was assumed that those fighting had a right to the spoils of war. Many were the second or third born sons and therefore knew they were unlikely to inherit anything because under the Norman system, which had been adopted through much of Europe, all went to the eldest son. They therefore had to make their fortunes through war and the pillaging that went along with it. There were also what were known as the free companies, mercenary groups often of lower social standing and therefore more inclined to pillage out of necessity. Even the some of the most noble of knights, if you believe the literature, were rather unsavory. The English Sir John Hawkswood was a notoriously violent and corrupt mercenary, but in story was turned into a most noble and chivalric knight. De Gusclin, the constable of France, and a renowned knight had dealings with many unsavory characters, could himself use extreme violence. And of course, the fighting itself was a very dangerous business, especially in an age without antibiotics, where a small cut could get infected and lead to an early death. The activities of such figures has led many to question whether or not the late medieval cult of chivalry was nothing more than a sham, something created to disguise the ugliness of war and what some peep of these people were doing. The activities of such figures has led many to question whether or not the late medieval cult of chivalry was nothing more than a sham, something created to disguise the ugliness of war and what some of these people were doing or in a way in which the nobility could glamorize their misdeeds. I would argue that chivalry is in fact the opposite. 
that developed as a break on the behavior of a powerful and important class that at times threatened the very stability of medieval society. Finally, as mentioned earlier, the term knight became honorific. It was a way to reward someone. The idea of knighthood was increasingly used by states as a way to reward individuals and help guarantee loyalty. Across Europe, we see different kingdoms establishing their own orders of knights, swearing obedience to the king. The first purely secular orders of knights were formed in Hungary in 1326 and Spain in 1330. However, little is known of these. The first order that we have significant information on is the Order of the Garter, established in England in 1348 by Edward III. The statutes of the order state that, quote, Knights shall not leave England without permission. They shall never fight on opposite sides. No member shall appear in public without his insignia. The central function of the order was the maintenance of the College of Canons and poor knights at Windsor. All knights were to gather for an annual feast celebrating St. George. Initially, there were just 25 members, including the king, with all members being of high rank. But gradually, it became an honorary designation open to all ranks. By the 15th century, the character of the Order of the Garter had changed considerably. Henry IV used it to cement alliances with foreign princes. Fifty-one foreign princes were members during the 15th and 16th centuries. Other countries soon followed suit. France established the Order of the Star, while Burgundy had the Order of the Golden Fleece. The foundation chart of the Order of the Golden Fleece stated, to do reverence to God and to uphold the Christian faith and to honor and increase the noble order of chivalry, and one, to honor older knights whose noble and high deeds are worthy of recognition, two, exercise deeds appropriate to chivalry every day, three, that knights and gentlemen who see this order worn may be moved to noble deeds themselves and lead such a life that their valiance will earn them great fame. We can learn several things from the development of different orders in Europe. First, in the 14th century, we see many kingdoms establish orders of knights. Secondly, as they proliferated, they lost something of their prestige. Third, and more importantly, it reflects an important shift in society away from the purely militaristic role of the knight. Now it was becoming more honorary and closely linked with rank and prestige. The knight, by the late Middle Ages, was losing his military role, becoming a country gentleman. This is something we'll explore more in the next podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this. You can follow me on Twitter um, and on Facebook or Instagram, um, where I, I will be from time to time posting uh, pictures relevant to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll get the next one going very shortly.